It seems fitting that an album whose central theme is the distinction between religion and God was recorded entirely in a converted church. The church made up one of two studios at the newly opened Island Records in Basing Street, London. Island Record had two bands recording there in 1970, Led Zeppelin, who were working on their untitled fourth album, and Jethro Tull, who were recording the album that would bring them mainstream commercial success upon its release in 1971, Aqualung. Aqualung hit number four on the UK album charts in 1971 and number 52 on the chart in 1996 when the CD version was released. It hit number seven on the Billboard Music Charts North American Pop Albums chart and their single, Hymn 43, hit number 91 on the charts in 1971. A different, more popular single from the album did not gain any traction upon its initial release. It wasn't until 1976, when the single was re-released, that it would hit number 59 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 85 on the Canadian charts. Since then, the song has gone on to be critically acclaimed by everyone from Jethro Tull frontman Ian Anderson to Billboard, Ultimate Classic Rock, and Das Gesamtwerk der Groten Rock Acts in Czech. The alleged meaning of the song has changed over the years, with Anderson initially claiming it to be about dying, and later calling it a song about overpopulation. While the meaning has shifted, the song's main appeal has stayed the same. The simple, hard rock riff and the steady, train-like rhythm. That's right, we're talking Jethro Tull's locomotive breath on Cover Me. In the shuffling That's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that talks about famous songs and their many cover versions, compares them against one another to find out which one is running headlong to its death. I'm your host as always, Jake Cressy, joined by my all-time winner co-host... Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. Winning? Yeah, all time. Um, I could have gone with all-time loser, I just felt mean. Yeah, you could have also said, like, his wife's cheating on him. Alex Mildenberger. Yeah, Alex but, uh, Mildenberger. That would be uh, the most absurd of all, because I am not that married. Yeah. So unless you consider, like, if you have a future wife and you consider them having sex with other people before marrying you to be cheating, like, if you're weird like that, maybe <laughs> that would If I'm one of those guys. Like, yeah, a little too possessive. Yeah. Pre-possessive. Uh, <laughs> preposition um yeah alex you're doing good the weather's fine yeah um that was a that was it we we did it it was a home run alex yeah that was great except that talking about the intro here for the the listeners who are <laughs> unclear oh, yeah. what we're talking about yeah you didn't you probably wouldn't know because i'm assuming you usually um edit those together uh so mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like you fuck up uh, at least once let's say um but uh, but that was that was good. That's good. Except I think I said Island Record on the second time around and not Island Records. But I mm. skipped over it. Cause... You kind of like, play that off. Play that off. Play it off, yeah. Like, it's oh, like... you just heard it wrong, bro. I totally did And, of course, the, 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 pub, the, the German publication, Des, des Gesamtwerk der Krochen Rock Axim Czech, probably Check. is incorrect. Yeah, it's close enough. Exactly. I mean, I... It's got I, I, one of those it was fancy a lot of syllables. in it. Yeah. Oh, I think that that's like a an sh sound. I think. Okay, and it's preceded by an o with the umlaut. Um, I'm. What is the letter before that o? R. Okay. Before that g. Okay. The, I I think it like because 
if you have two vowels in a row and the second one is a, has the, has the dots, I don't think it's the same as if it's on its own, but that might not apply to every language. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what an O solo is with the umlaut? No, I, I don't remember how it, how it uh, affects the sound. Um, okay, so this might, this might be similar to more like Der Grushten than Der, der Grobten. Yeah. Okay. That sounds more uh, German anyway. Yeah, sounds more German to me. Anyway, sorry, German people, for the <laughs> intro. Uh, not here to talk about Germany, although we're going to talk about Jethro Tull, not the agriculturist, but the, the band. The band. The, much more well-known, right? I don't think Jethro Tull's a big historical figure. I mean, I feel like as much as Jethro Tull has, has a, a profile in like rock and roll circles, and as <clears> popular <throat> as they were at times, certainly it's not a group I... Like, I haven't, like, met a lot of Jethro Tull fans in my life compared to, like, people who know about Led Zeppelin, for example. Right, um, people who know about seed drills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people who are affected by the seed drill. Um, <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Jethro Tull, despite the fact that they did have commercial success, feels like a fringe band to me. It definitely feels like it. I don't know how valid that is, but it definitely has the mm-hmm. feel. So, like, discovering them in in high school is, like is is a pretty good feeling because you're like oh this is uh this is something a little different they're also a little different i think they they approach things in in an interesting way that i certainly haven't seen in other like popular rock and roll groups Mm -hmm. primarily bring the flute to the action mostly the flute the flute's the big (laughs) one um that's a big one and then later on not so much on aqualung but some of their later 70s albums there's more like a folk influence um Mm. and that's interesting you can put it on and like it's not english folk music but you kind of feel like it almost is especially if you're Mm -hmm. live in the prairies in canada right yeah where you're like oh that's it's it's got a flute there it must be english music small guitar making it sound diminutive interesting Mm -hmm. wow very interesting yeah, uh, yeah. This was a high school discovery for me. Rock Band Two, and then I think you probably were like, "Hey, check out the full album, Aqualung." Right. I had the CD because my dad bought it, and like for years, I was like, "This is weird, and I don't want to listen to it." And then I think Rock Band inspired me to go back to it, which was mm. a good good decision. Really like Jethro Tull now. Yeah, and it's it is a fucking ugly album cover because it's got this <laughs> this creepy little man on it. That's true. It's just, uh, like, I mean, it's Aqualung, who's, like, a homeless guy, like, mm-hmm. hunched over in a big coat, and everything is, like, brown and stuff, you know? It's, uh, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, you have the old English person. lettering by it. Um, that cover art is by Burton Silverman. Um, of course, now I look at it, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, this, this album yeah, that's is dope, but, yeah. At the time, no, not not keen on it. Now, Alex, you saw Ian Anderson live? I saw Jethro Tull. Right. Yeah, 10 years ago, the night before my my uh, math diploma, which is, mm. for anyone not familiar with this specific form of testing, the it was my grade 12, which, for anyone not familiar, <laughs> uh, that's the last year of high school, uh, and... The diploma is like your final exam that the the province sets up. That's like provincial mm-hmm. level. 
examinations and was tired for my math diploma because I saw Jethro Tull's uh, Aqualung 40th anniversary concert the night before. Okay, so they must have played Locomotive Breath. Oh, yeah, they played the whole album. Yeah, they just played front to back? No, it was kind of scattered throughout, and then Aqualung was actually, like, the song was the um, um, uh, encore, which I don't think was a good idea, but uh, Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed the concert anyway. Fair enough. Reading up on Locomotive Breath this week, I think it mentions on the Wikipedia page that Locomotive Breath is often the encore song. It's a really, like, energizing song. It's a good, especially if you, like, go off and then you can, like, just, like, everyone's off stage and then just the guy playing piano comes back on, right? And then he yeah. does his thing and everyone's like, I know what's going on. And then, you know, the spotlight goes on the piano, he starts to play and everyone's like, oh, shit, you cheer. And then everyone starts to kind of come out and then you just kind of crash into the main song, main part mm-hmm. of the song. And that's pretty exciting. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry that, that you weren't given the encore treatment you deserved, Alex. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I think there was more encore stuff going on. I don't remember. It was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, Alex. As I said, for the 40th anniversary. Of course, that means this year is the 50th anniversary of the album. So that's mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, and that's uh, part of the reason we're talking about it today is that it is the 50th anniversary. And that's the kind of people we are. Um, love this song. It was always a standout on the album for me. Let's talk about some lyrics here, Alex, because there yes. is there's stuff to discuss. Yep, there is. If I can find them. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people on this one, this is another one of those ones where everybody's got their own interpretation and most of them are wrong. Or like, uh, what happens a lot and what we will see is people be like, this probably means this. And you're like, but why? That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Like, it's very, it's a very like surface level interpretation but let's let's look into it let's let's look into this so um we start off with verse one which says in the shuffling madness actually should i start out with some quotes from from ian anderson about what he he said about the song first let's get into that yeah yeah sure let's okay so this is from a february actually can i find the the earlier one first let me see here so this is from uh disc and music echo which i believe is a, a magazine published on march 20th 1971 Here, Ian Anderson says, Locomotive Breath is another song about dying, but it's not so serious as Slipstream. It's an analogy of the unending train journey of life. You can't stop, you've got to stagger on, but it's not that serious. All of the songs have an element of humor, and sometimes pure silliness. So that was the the initial story, given that it's about just how life is an unending train journey that you can't really get off of. It's pretty dry humor. Yeah, you got just kind of got to slog through it. Um, coming to 2013, he talks about the song again, and he says, It was my first song that was perhaps on a topic that would be a little more appropriate to today's world. It was about the runaway train of population growth and capitalism. It was based on those sort of unstoppable ideas. We're on this crazy train. We can't get off it. Where is it going? Bearing in mind, of course, when I was born in 1947, the population of planet Earth was slightly less than a third of what it is today. So it should be a sobering thought that in one man's lifetime, our planetary population has more than tripled. You'd think population growth would have brought prosperity, happiness, food, and a reasonable spread of wealth, but quite the opposite has happened, and is happening even more to this day. Without putting in too much little detail, that was what lay behind that song. So there's your your two official interpretations from the same guy. Yeah, huh. I think, well, there's another quote um, mm-hmm. where he says... 
when he wrote it, it was originally meant to be about population growth. That's kind of what he was thinking of. Yeah. Um, and then it sort of evolved over the course of him writing it into less of a specific thing. Um, which is something we talked about before. We've talked about, you know, you taking that. taking this concept that you have and trying to make it into a relatable song. Trying to make your, your specific things into a universal um, mm-hmm. thing, I guess. Right. So that quote you have is here. He says, when I wrote it, I wasn't deliberately setting out to write a piece of music on a particular subject, but it evolved during the writing process into being not terribly specific, but about the issue of overcrowding, the rather claustrophobic feeling of a lot of people in a limited space and the idea of the incessant, unstoppable locomotive being metaphor for seemingly the unstoppable population expansion on planet Earth. Yeah. Maybe I read that a little a little wrong. Um, yeah, well he says it a little dumb because he says he says it evolved but not terribly specific, which seemed to contradict each other. So he started out with nothing and then he seems to think it is loosely about overpopulation rather than being quite specific or on the head. Um with a writer like Ian Anderson, his idea of what is too literal might be not the same as a normal person i would argue yeah and um i mean just looking at the lyrics i i don't think there's specifically much mention of the idea of of overpopulation like that doesn't really come up much if at all I think in there is like I feel like there is an interpretation of it as much as there is the interpretation of it just being an analogy for life. Right. I think the like the general analogy of like feeling like you can't stop this forward motion of time and mm-hmm. like feeling like everything is building to a catastrophe potentially or like it could at any moment but not being able to do anything about it. Um is like generally applicable enough that like that's pretty solid theme that the song addresses yeah i think yeah on a base level and of course it mentions god in it which is where a lot of people get crazy and where a lot of the interpretation seems to get out of hand yeah also even even with the phrase old charlie but with all these things in mind let's get into the lyrics officially here let's First one, in the shuffling madness of the locomotive breath, runs the all-time loser headlong to his death. He feels the piston scraping, steam breaking on his brow. Old Charlie stole the handle and the train it won't stop going. No way to slow down. That's no the refrain, but I'm going to chuck it in there. Shuffling so, madness, Alex. What does great, that mean? Great line. Great line. Mm. Shuffling madness. Um, now, in terms of what it actually means, I kind of always thought of it as, as part of like the train metaphor like the shuffling sound of of the train engine and the you know i i think that could be interpreted as a shuffle um i agree because my mind came to that conclusion yeah and other than that i think it's just like kind of sounds cool like he's in the shuffling mad like the locomotive breath that's like steam right that's the yeah like the cloud coming out of the top of the engine that's what i I mean, what else would it be, right? What else could it be? That's the breath of the locomotive. So that's kind of like, like you're literally kind of in this cloud. So it's it's kind of just setting up the the image, I think. But also part of the theme of lack of control, like your vision is actually obstructed. 
mm-hmm. kind of by yeah, your vision's obstructed yeah. there is madness that is moving it's not just still it's shuffling right and it is the madness of motion right uh here we have our first if you're looking at the genius page our first i think wrong interpretation of this which is he says it's a, a reference to a tranquilizer thorazine uh some people seem to think this song is about drug addiction i don't think that lands really that's a lot i mean ian anderson isn't really known for his drug use yeah like and i don't think jethro tull was they're not they weren't like a big drugs band yeah i know a lot of bands are but i I mean usually at this point someone says yeah we used to do a lot of heroin back in the day but we're clean now but like that (laughs) yeah usually that's not something i've ever read about jethro tull (laughs) they're like yeah we sometimes like drink some beers after the show yeah pretty tame stuff so yeah it doesn't seem and i i just doesn't seem to attach to anything else i think you're right it's setting up this idea of a sort of uh for lack of a better a crazy train right it's (laughs) yes they're going off the rails on a crazy train (laughs) on a crazy train um so we're introduced to the character of the all-time loser uh who's a dude that sucks i guess (laughs) no i think it's just like uh i think it is maybe the modern man or what was modern in 1971 being born into this this crazy train and just you know not winning ever you just get right and i think you... i think a lot of the whole album has that theme or a lot of the songs have that theme in it where it's like you're a person and you're just in the world and you have to live with what is there already because it's so well established and now you're kind of becoming um you know moving on with your life maybe it, it was an album that was created when these guys were like in their early 20s. So they're sort of in this coming of age period, you know, mm-hmm. and coming into possession of a world that is in a particular state and you just kind of have to live with what you have and deal with that in some way. Yeah, you really are just dealing with circumstances. Um, interestingly, the, the loser runs headlong to his death. We might think of running as, you know, being to escape something. But he is, whether intentionally or just by happenstance, he's beelining it towards death. Yeah, I I never really thought of the song as being about like a catastrophic event where he dies or anything. Mm-hmm. Just, this is life. This is a train that represents life. So, of course, death is at the end. Because yeah. that's what it is. It's It's, you know, 80 years from now or whatever. 60 years from now. But that is the ultimate the inevitable conclusion yeah i think he is just talking about an inevitability and it is sort of regardless of what this 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 all-time loser is doing he is running towards death and and quite quickly because we as human beings don't live that long yeah but of course Uh, saying it like that makes it sound very intense it's a very intense sounding song like just talking about running headlong into death and then and then feels a piston scraping like that's some that's some like really kind of gritty intense imagery. Mm-hmm. And steam breaking on his brow. This is uncomfortable. Yeah. There's nothing pleasant about the locomotive breath so far. Like. <laughs> yeah. Like and steam. Steam is hot. So mm-hmm. like there's kind of the combination of like I think steam breaking. I couldn't really find a definition for that term, but it just sounds to me like it's forming water droplets. Yeah, like so, it would be hitting him. Yeah, and, and then kind of, of like beating up, which also yeah. sort of um, is goes hand in hand 
one, it's hot because of the steam. There's this liquid forming, but also he's probably like sweating, which kind of suggests like nervousness or concentration, you know? Yeah, so, or like, yeah, sort of, like exhaustion of some kind. Yeah. Uh, so it's not easy what's going on. <laughs> no, and I, again, with the piston scraping, you can kind of hear that noise too. It's not a pleasant noise. Yeah, it's and it's not like, like a well-oiled machine. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it needs maintenance. It, it's yeah. <laughs> because it's making some weird sounds, but you don't necessarily know uh, what's going on. And you can't stop yeah. it to repair it. So exactly. Like oil that's up, what we, to oil up the pistons or whatever. We learned. So old Charlie stole the handle and the train. It won't stop slowing. No way to slow down. Um, the Obviously, the last two lines there are pretty simple. Yeah. Um, who the fuck is old Charlie? Who is old Charlie? Um, some of the comments suggest it's Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that would mean if it was um yeah they mentioned because he's the he's you know sort of the father of the theory of evolution i guess Um, as like an icon of like kind of being opposed to the ideas of the church which would have been a big part of their lives like the church of england um perhaps but like some of the some of the things they say like he like is the cause of overpopulation? Like, what does that even mean? I guess maybe it was he behind like the idea of like the biological imperative that like we you know we fucked so we can reproduce. I don't know about that. I mean, I know the origin of species. That's and suggested the theory of evolution. That's all I know. But like, it was going on before that. He didn't like change. Changed the way we looked at it, but he didn't change the way we, like, approached life, I don't think. Maybe someone who was, um, you know, alive at the time would be able to elucidate that a little bit better. But, like, I I just don't really understand what the significance of that being Charles Darwin is. So here's my interpretation, but it's going to require clarification on a line here. Um, When we get to the last refrain, is it... Does he say, I said, God, he stole the handle, or does he thank God he stole the handle? Right. I guess there is... Does it sound like thank God to you when you listen to it? A little bit, yeah. But then I slowed it down real slow, and then it it made things much muddier for me. So I'm uncertain. Would you like to pause this recording briefly? Not literally, but... And then I can grab the CD from my um, room yeah that'd be perfect and then that i can see excellent. what it says on this uh, on the actual thing yeah please all right i'll be back in a minute okay so um my version of the album does not have the lyrics in the booklet <laughs> motherfucker yeah all right well i'm gonna try one more thing all right so now we're back we're back that Nothing is a question else. I have had too, like for mm-hmm. that for that last refrain, because he's because whatever the lyrics is, like you can kind of hear it as like could just be like an exclamation, but like oh god, he stole the handle, like not mm-hmm. necessarily God stole the handle, you know? Yeah. Um. So, so without I would like to see the liner notes on the album. Uh, I would which like to see I do that. So not have access to at the moment. We're going to have to kind of work with this a few different ways. So if yeah. we're taking the the genius listed lyrics here at face value, I said, God, he stole the handle. 
to and taking that to imply that God stole the handle. Then um, old Charlie is God because old Charlie stole the handle. I think it's yeah. I th- I think he's saying here that the the concept of of this train being out of control goes back much further than what was initially believed. We if 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 Charles Darwin is to blame, if were to take it, old Charlie to mean apparently, which is apparently a reference to Satan as well. Um, if we're taking old Charlie to mean Satan, then that means instead of our demise being in the hands of the devil, he is now attributing it to God. Which, of course, makes more sense if we look at the, the verse before that in which he picks up Gideon's Bible. And he's kind um, of turned to God, put his, hand, his life in the hands of God. Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess let's, t- let's talk about that, because yeah. he picks it up, and it's open at page one. Page one of the Bible is Genesis. Yes. Um, and this is, of course, playing into the overpopulation reading of it, uh, and Genius does point out this one, the line, be fruitful and multiply. So it's, if, you're, if, if we're reading it to this point, being like, oh, overpopulation is the problem, and then he picks up Gideon's Bible looking for a solution... And then he flips to page one, and it turns out God was behind all this shit the whole time. <laughs> like, like the game right. was rigged before it even began, right? So I'm trying to think of another Genesis uh, connection. And mm-hmm. verse two has the line, his woman and his best friend in bed and having fun. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of, like, are the woman and the best friend supposed to be, like, Adam and Eve? Mm. Like, because... Because God created Adam and Eve, right? In Gen- in Genesis, yeah. and is is it is that like the humor of like his best friend is like the guy he created, and then he also created a woman. Hmm. And but now they're together, and like that kind of kicks everything off. I don't know about the crawling right. down the corridor on his hands and knees, though. Yeah, that's. I mean, I guess that's if we take the all-time loser to also be God. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Then who's the all-time winner? Is the all-time winner the <laughs> devil? I mean, there's a yeah, whole thing. And maybe. who's catching angels? I mean, let's we maybe we should talk about the lyrics. Yeah, let's maybe let's go try and go through this because we're jumping around step by step. Okay, we jumped around a lot. We're at verse two now because yeah. we've kind of addressed the possible interpretation. I guess of here's another thing. Uh, he sees <laughs> his children jumping off at the stations one by one. His woman and his best friend in bed and having fun. He's crawling down the corridor on his hands and knees, and then we get another refrain. Old Charlie stole the handle, and the train, it won't stop going. No way to slow down. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, talking about children of God as, like, people, mm-hmm. that's another thing that happens. Um, as to what it means for them to be jumping off, I mean, in, in my original thought of it just being about... Um, life being out of control generally yeah um people jumping off the train i didn't take i mean i thought of suicide but what i thought it was more so was just it feels sometimes like other people aren't in a hectic situation but it's just your perception right okay so like it seems like they're figuring everything out yeah, and if everyone is on their own train, right? Uh, yeah. I guess these people are, are getting off. And he's like, well, I'm really stuck to handle this myself. Um, so yeah, that is perhaps one interpretation there. Another is, like you said, suicide or just plain death. True, um, yeah. 
or I mean, jumping I, off at a station, like a station's definitely a better place to jump off. But if you're jumping off a train, it's probably still not ideal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then there, if we go with this overpopulate overpopulation idea, it's easy to sort of picture this train. I it's sort of comically filled to the brim with just people, and you know, it's it's kids just flying off because True. there's literally I, no there's room so many for them. People, they... Yeah, so there's a lot of like potent imagery, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and so then that yeah, brings like... into the idea of like perhaps this man, the all-time loser, is like, well, I gotta, we've got to slow down on this whole population thing, and then he turns around to see his his wife and his best friend. We're like, now we're keeping it going. So like, he, you can't stop it because somebody else will fill in for the the reproductive role, even if right. you stop. The loser is the guy who tries to solve the problems. And again, with part of it, I always think of Aqualung as very much a young a young man's album. Mm-hmm. Um, having been a young man at times in my life, um, there's definitely like that kind of feeling of like why isn't anyone else like i'm I'm trying to fix things here you know trying mm-hmm. to, why is no one listening um yeah that ties in as well yeah exactly if only and everyone guess... cooperated with what i say then all the problems would be solved Hmm. i guess is he maybe on uh like is his because he he's running in the first verse he's crawling in the the second verse is he trying to get to the front of the train to 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 presumably pull the handle and he hasn't come to the realization that there is no handle there yet? There is no handle? Perhaps. I mean, and then he does, I mean, it doesn't say he's sitting in the third verse, but it does say that he is reading the Bible and sitting seems to me to be the logical position to be in. Yeah. So, like, at that point, he's turned to faith and perhaps given up on solving this problem on his own maybe that's another mm-hmm. part of it maybe he's suggesting that turning to faith is giving up i don't know if that's actually yeah well that saying, would be but... my interpretation because this is where we have to understand that it's a narrator taking us through this right we're not right. hearing the story from the all-time loser or the all-time winner um so if it is if the line is i thank god he stole the handle he may be saying that like humanity's willingness to turn to god when things seem feeble he's like well good fuck him anyway then i'm glad the handle's gone because if this is like how frail we are then fuck it let the train run keep it going whatever to destruction Mm -hmm. and that's another thing that yeah i have felt at times you know it's like well no one's gonna do anything about it maybe everything should just explode in our faces yeah 100 percent (laughs) i You may be right. This may be a young man's album. Um, so let's talk verse three. He hears the silence howling, catches angels as they fall, and the all-time winner has got him by the balls. He picks up Gideon's Bible open at page one. I said God, or I thank God, or oh God, he stole the handle, and the trainer won't stop going. No way to slow down. No way to slow down, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, silence howling. Um, regardless of whether this is isolation in the loneliness of your chaotic life or, you know, seeking for somebody else to, to be panicking like you are about this problem and trying to do something about it, uh, you know, the silence is deafening. He hears the silence howling. Yeah. The fact that nothing is said is perhaps more potent than anything that would be said. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Catch's Angels as They Fall? Um, well, we're definitely working with a lot of like Christian imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, or Abrahamic, perhaps, imagery. So a uh, fallen angel, I think, is like a demon, right? Right. 
So they're literally falling, and he's trying to catch them. Now, who's catching them? What does it mean to I catch mean, an angel? What does it mean to catch is an he angel? Trying yeah, to, is he like, trying to save them? He, he, we did talk about him like trying to save people, thinking that maybe he could do something to change things for the better. Mm-hmm. But, um, and like you said, if these are fallen angels, yeah, they're, they're literally the opposite of helpful at yeah. this point. <laughs> so it's a completely futile action. Yeah, so he doesn't um doesn't succeed very much. Mm-hmm. And then oh, we have yeah. the idea of the all-time winner who's got him by the balls. Um, Who, again, I mean, might be the devil. Might be the devil. Might be God. Might be Charles Darwin? No, probably not Charles Darwin. <laughs> yeah, now, I, I feel... I want Charlie to be a reference to something. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough though because i don't quite see the charles darwin connection other than i guess overpopulation yeah yeah but does the theory of evolution really play into overpopulation i mean the only thing like i don't think the comments um said it very well but just the idea that we know about it now right we know about uh, or or it's it's moving away from this idea that like the earth was given granted to humanity from a divine source and we can do whatever we want with it Mm -hmm. um which i think some people believe i'm not totally specific on that because i mean there's yeah anyway um now i was looking up other potential charles and charlie's and stuff Mm -hmm. uh the only thing i could come up because it seemed like it would be like a mythological figure you know right because that's kind of what it sounds like and that is something and i can't think of an example but like giving like a a pet name or a diminutive name to like a powerful god or something like that to reference Mm -hmm. just to be cheeky um and i couldn't find anything specific but there is a guy charles perot who is credited with um being an influential figure in the like literary genre of fairy tales, that's the closest uh-huh. thing I could find. Okay, <laughs> but I still don't really uh, have anything else based on that. Well, uh, yeah, if we're and for chucking that around, I mean fairy tales. It's if there's one thing we can agree on, it's Ian Anderson is critical of uh, faith-based religion or religion in general. I would argue, right? Particularly Christianity. Yeah. Particularly, so probably are... the Church of England, specifically, mm-hmm. that he grew yeah. up around. So some weirdos will see the song and they say, oh, because he picked up the Bible at the end, he is now finding faith, He's and that's a good thing. When I think for Ian Anderson, it's uh, this is either meant to be the punchline here, him picking up the Bible and then the refrain hitting, or it's meant to be uh, like a criticism of man for turning to God. I don't think it is meant to be celebratory in any way. It's not about finding faith in, in a yeah, devastating it's situation. Yeah, it's not a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, he, if old Charlie is Charles Perrault, man of fiction and fairy tales, and then he picks up the Bible, <laughs> and then we now have Ian Anderson referencing God, I mean, maybe that connection is that he's saying, well, God is fictitious. He's a fairy tale. Yeah, it's a stretch, I'll admit. Uh, a big stretch. That specific Charles, um, who old Charlie would be, but I was I was just trying to find a Charlie uh, or a Charles associated with like mythology. Mm-hmm. That was the best I could do. 
Yeah, and the other old Charlie that people mentioned is cocaine. is apparently called Charlie. I don't think that's helpful yeah, either. Also called Charlie, the Viet Cong. <laughs> that's it. It's the 70s. This is an anti-Vietnam anthem. That's right, baby. Um, no, I don't think that's so... Yeah, he's got to buy the ball. I think, like, I think the Gideon's Bible thing has to be the punchline. I think if because he says that this song's got a bit of humor in it, so uh, I think it is funny to Ian Anderson to be like, "Oh, you're turning to God," and yeah. that's why I think it might. He's be only turning I to God because he has nothing. Like he's clearly done as much as he can. Everything keeps going bad. He's literally mm-hmm. being grabbed by his balls. Yeah, as per the previous line. So he says, "Okay, now I'll turn to turn to faith." Because there's nothing else. I've been broken down. Yeah. And so, yeah, he says, whether he says, I said God, he stole the handle. I thank God he stole the handle. Whatever it is, it, it is, I think, meant to be funny and a, a critique of, if not the situation of overpopulation or life itself, a <clears throat> critique of faith. Yeah, of something, perhaps very generally. Or a combination, yeah, of, of several things. Like you said, mm-hmm. it kind of ended up being fairly general. And sometimes that's the fun songs where you can read a lot into it. And some of the lines were probably written to mean very specific things, but then um, some of the lines weren't. Yeah. Some of it's not very, very clear. Um, Still like the song a lot. Yeah. And I like that there is room for interpretation. And some really cool, like I said, like Shuffling Madness. Very cool. Locomotive Breath. The title of the song, obviously. Mm-hmm. Very cool set of words they put together there. You know, stuff. Silence Howling, a little more cliched, but sounds cool. Sounds cool. Yeah, and I think the one that stood out for me on, on reading through it was Catches Angels As They Fall, a line that sure. would kind of just go by when I was listening to it. But Yeah, I guess, like, there's also, like, isn't there a song about catching a shooting star and putting it in your pocket? There is a song about that. Yeah. And you're like making wishes, right? So this, so right. that would probably be a similar, similar imagery. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to m- make a wish by catching an angel. Yeah. Um, worth noting on Gideon's Bible, that's the the Gideon, whatever they are, um, the, the Gideon, Gideon Society. Society. They the- were and are still obsessed with <clears throat> giving people access to Bibles, just anywhere they can put a Bible. So they do a lot of motels and stuff like that. Yeah. How- they of course have a a bible app now they're pretty broad because like did did they ever come to your school in elementary school because they came to my school they gave me they a new testament have. yeah you know I those little red bible ones? yeah they yeah. definitely came to my school this then. Little, little red new testament um obviously they're they're active in the uk and if they're not active in the united states i would be shocked and of course if you open a, a nightstand at a hotel they're all over the place Yep. So that is, I think, maybe also part of the joke is how commonplace these Gideon's Bibles are that you can be on a fucking train. Right, or he could literally, yeah, I guess, yeah, they're just everywhere. They're just everywhere, right? It's not like an ornate 12th century Yeah, it's this this cheap fucking mass-produced Bible. Yeah, so I think mm-hmm. that plays into it as well. But that's that's the lyrics. They are in the end, maybe not too clear, but I think we've we've done our best with them. But like, I think I think the the themes are the themes come out. If you give yeah, it, I think a give general a bit of a sense shake. of it. Some of the specifics yeah. are a little foggy, but I don't think all of them are super important. Hmm. Yeah. 
You know what is super important, though? The, the noises and sounds and music, baby. Let's talk about what goes on. Yeah, let's talk about what happens in the song. Well, first um, thing that happens, out, yeah, piano, that, piano intro, kind of like a little jazzy, but slow. Yeah, it's Something interesting that it up. starts out jazzy, and then when the guitar comes in, it really seems to, to paint it in the blues. Absolutely. Um, I don't know, I didn't get anything out of that particular transition, did you? Um, nothing meaningful, just okay. sounds neat. <laughs> does sound cool. Um, there's kind of two parts to the intro. Um, because at first it's that. Um, yeah, like, big flourishes like, on the yeah, piano. Jazzy runs. I, yeah, lots of like runs and, and cool sounds. And then it kind of gets into, um, the, the main riff of the song, which gets played on the piano here only and then also this kind of like pulsing chords and that kind of and then there's the the really like bluesy part is the electric guitar plays a lick over top of that but it's still pretty far in the back yeah um or it's more quiet um and then it kind of like fades into this feedback before the whole thing like crashes in and then you get into the actual like rock version of the riff, which we've already been introduced to in the previous. Yeah, the section. idea of it is is in that yeah. uh, solo section. But now it's it's been like turned up on the rock scales, and the electric guitar is playing it. And it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It's just the like. Yeah, it's insanely simple. Yeah, and then there's kind of like it breathes for the back half. And you just hear this pulsing of the bass guitar. Yeah, that boom, 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 and this sort of like choked guitar. This yes, the like muted part. Mm-hmm. So it does have the kind of like two halves to it, which is always we've talked about a few songs that have two halves of their riffs, and this is one of them. Yeah. Um, and um, the other worth thing noting about yeah, real ahead. quick because I'm still talking about just that melody. It's. It's the the guitar playing it, but there's a piano there too, and I believe the bass follows for that part as well. And then the drums kind of follow the rhythm of it, so it's everything kind of combining together to play this one riff. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because yeah, the drums even follow that dun 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 dun. And so it was very. This sets up this train rhythm, which is was very important to the making of this song. Definitely. Um, and is part of the reason that this track was primarily compromised of overdubs, which was unusual for the time, 1971, is because Ian Anderson had a hard time, I guess, like explaining that concept to them and getting them to really sync up that rhythm. So it was a lot of separated parts. Also, Ian Anderson does like six different instruments in here. <laughs> um, he, so he does the flute, he does vocals, he does the bass drum, the hi-hat, acoustic guitar, and some electric guitar. That's fun. Single drums. Mm-hmm. And then you have John Evan on the piano parts, uh, Clive Bunker doing the rest of the drums, and Martin Barr doing the rest of the electric guitar. And their their bassist, who was... This was his first album he was on. Supposedly he was, like, learning name. the bass. Is that Hammond Hammond? Yeah. Jeffrey um, Hammond Hammond? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, they had to, like, teach him to play the bass when they were... <laughs> that's the story I've heard when they were recording mm. this um, album. 
Okay, well, I, I think he does a pretty good job here. In a church with Led Zeppelin as they're recording their Led fourth Zeppelin. album. <laughs> yeah. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's your your rhythm section, your main riff. That's really the the centerpiece of this song. That's why it gets covered a lot is that... Yeah. A lot. Of, I mean, songs with that sort of solid riff, you can... We tend to see a lot of covers of. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the the vocals come in at a one thirty four about maybe a few seconds before that, and then what we get with that is a electric guitar that uh, does a lick after every phrase that Ian Anderson sings, and the shuffling madness of the locomotive. Yeah, breath. it it continues that sort of like licking in between lines, right? Like it did in the the intro section, which is pretty cool little yeah yeah especially with the like it's it's more of like a distorted guitar um Mm -hmm. note on ian anderson's vocals at this point they kind of changed a lot over the years with jethro tull and um i don't think he sounds very good live nowadays personally but he sounds okay after all the vocal um production has gone in um (laughs) but he sounds like his early Jethro Tull sound is like very evocative and has this real like grit to it. Like the fact that these mm-hmm. are the, these are the vocals. These, this is the voice singing these lyrics adds a lot of weight to it. I think because it ad- makes you feel this like grit of whatever it's about. And you know, the other songs yeah. in the album about like teenage prostitutes and, and homeless pedophiles and what have you. Yeah, coming into this one, one as an album cut, and two having just from singles heard other Aqualong songs first. Yeah, it really has that earned grit to it, and it yeah. really is is putting that context, and it feels correct. Yeah, and adds some of that and human detail. There's a lot of like weird vocalizations and ad lib sounds, mm-hmm. um, that I think are pretty unique to Ian Anderson. The way he like does these like small runs, which is like hey hey like. Yeah, I didn't even do it very well because it sounds better when he does it. But uh... it, it's true, it does. But you know what? <laughs> Is it good enough? Don't beat yourself up. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll feel alright about it. Um, and they're they're fun to to imitate, but um, they don't always sound. This was my prediction that I wrote down that that people are going to imitate them in the covers, and uh, they're not always going to sound well. Good. Yeah, I mean that's almost a given at this point. Oh, yeah, we no, that's not even like that's not a that's not a hail mary pass. That's like <laughs> no, you're not calling a home run with that. One. No, <laughs> no. Um, there's a uh, lot you are of right. yes. oh the refrain. Then we get into the refrain. Yeah, um, Tell me it's about a, that a lot of ride symbol right at the start. Um, I and um, like really like wailing on the guitar, and I think it has kind of a delay effect on it because it sounds like two guitars right um but only for the first line and then it kind of goes back to where it was before so mm-hmm. like the, it's just for the transition but then the rest of the refrain is like the rest of the song yeah so there's like this building in intensity but then it's like we're still riding that train we're just riding that train rhythm through yeah. and then after that you get a couple of like at the end of the refrain there you get a couple of on the guitar there some just like muted strumming kind of thing right right 
Um, yeah, and then I think the next verse is pretty much the same. Yeah, I think the drums pick up a bit, particularly in the second half. Uh, but it's not a lot. The, I mean, a big mm. part of the song is like it. It's steady, you know. It's got yeah. that. It's it's the train metaphor, the chugga. Yeah, <laughs> and since like a lot of the drum playing is just basically fills. At the when the when the riff part kicks in when it's the ba 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 right, so of course like, you'd play more intense fills as the song goes on. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, next big thing I have is the the flute solo after the second chorus. Yep, second chorus or refrain, verse, whatever. Yeah, yeah, refrain <laughs> thing section. Um, yeah, there's a there's a flute solo. Of course, underneath the flute solo is still the same stuff yeah it's just it's that exact same rhythm section and of course the flute is a big part of jethro tull's sound and didn't really catch on as a rock and roll instrument outside of jethro tull (laughs) so it really is kind of their i mean obviously they have their own sound but if you hear the flute you're like oh jethro tull um or that one song confused about like who it is focus I don't remember if it's Focus by Hocus Pocus or Hocus Pocus, but I think it's Hocus Pocus by Focus. Hocus Pocus by Focus. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if I know that one. Yes. Just it also has name. a flute in it. Okay. Um, and speaking of vocalizations, he also is known, or at least I know him for doing his, like, I don't know if he just does it in between breaths sometimes or something, but, like, on this one, he goes like, Duh! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Yes, he does. He, it's like gasps. That's like yeah. the, the, like, f- rock and roll flute solo equivalent of just like falling down to your knees and shredding or <laughs> <laughs> just like he just uses all of his air and just <gasps> like or or does his like like sound just to yeah. give it a little bit of character he's quite an interesting flute player um I, and at this point he'd only been playing the flute for a couple of years mm-hmm. because he he got his flute i think six months before the first jethro tull album came out and this is the fourth Jethro Tull album. Right. And yeah, he plays it in the classical style, right? Where he's on one foot. Yeah, it's more like a mythological style. Is it? I don't know. Is oh, there an actual classical, classical style of playing playing the flute um, on one there's foot? There's something on the Genius page about it. Because like they... Pan, I think, is is depicted playing a flute on one foot. I mean that sounds pretty classic to me. Uh, he has very classic. classic. Than Pan. Um, I think so. Yeah. Oh yeah, on the thing it says known for playing while standing on one foot, ala Pan. So yeah, it's it's mythological, <laughs> not classical. Um, yeah, pre-classical, let's say. I don't know. There you go. I'm trying to remember my uh, my <laughs> primordial Greek history. Um, yeah, so we get that flute solo, it rips, it's it's good. Yeah, and then there's like a really buzzy thing that starts to happen near the end. Yeah. I don't 100% know what it is. It is, yeah, that's about 318, Possibly I think, a guitar. buzzing rhythm comes in. Yeah, it's... So maybe it's just part of like the effects they put on, but... Or like... It sounds because it's lined up with the bass notes like 100%. Like if you did like a wet signal and a dry signal separately and ran the the bass through like a buzz distortion kind of thing. Yeah, I guess so. Just a whatever. I'm gonna say fuzz box. 
Yeah, because, like um, because that's a cool sound. Or like, I mean, we've played together, and I've heard sounds like that, but it's just like the the window rattling because everything's too loud. <laughs> yeah. So it could even be that. I don't know. Definitely could. Um, but you're right. It does come in, and it sticks around for the rest of the song. I'm pretty sure. For a while. Yeah, at least for for quite some time. Um, yeah, I think it's the rest of the song. Yeah, it is. Um. What else happens? Yeah, there's another verse. I didn't notice differences in this one. Yeah, aside from the buzzing. Um, about four minutes in, the piano starts giving her again on her outro segment. Yeah, on the outro. Um, the fade out's very long, but it kind of makes like it makes sense here that they're not. There's no stop. There's no end. It keeps going. Yeah. So. So you know we we don't always like fade outs, but I'm gonna defend this one. Yeah, I think this one is is apropos. I think it is a good thing to have. I'm in favor of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's the song. It's a pretty solid rock and roll song, in my opinion. It it's kind of known for the uh, contrast between the intro and the rest of the song, which is pretty significant. Um, but that mm-hmm. definitely gives it a cool sound, and. Uh, good time i like it it's a good time yeah it's uh i was surprised to find out that this was a like one of their most popular songs not because i think it's a bad song just because again i i kind of give jethro tall that fringe treatment right but it is one of their most popular and like that riff is easily why and we're gonna see it repeated yeah. a lot a lot of hard rock bands particularly will glom onto this as we're about to find yeah. out riffs a big part and um it's not too long Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, it's hard to cover all of "Thick as a Brick," for example. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for a song that has a minute and a half piano <laughs> intro, like right. And if you cut the intro, I have like yeah, you're no like time a at tight all. three minutes. It's a... Not that I would suggest yeah, could... cutting the intro. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. And first to get into that is a band called Rabbit. In the shuffling called in 1975 yeah did you look up rabbit very much i did so south african rock band formed in 1972 their most notable member being trevor rabin rabin i i don't know i, I was going between those two as well yeah okay. i want to well, talk about trevor two. trevor Rab- trevor rabin take it away alex um so he uh later became a member of yes the band yes, yes. uh in their 80s and 90s era which is like owner of a lonely heart type era not um fragile or anything like that uh but he also worked on film scores yeah and that's significant i'm gonna list a few of the of the movies he's worked on uh because uh they're quite amusing um jack frost michael keaton (laughs) uh deep blue sea which i forget the specifics of that but i wrote it down uh the sixth day sixth day which uh um arnold schwarzenegger movie right uh kangaroo jack uh which doesn't <laughs> feature a, a sentient kangaroo as much as you'd think uh bad boys 2 yes both national treasure movies snakes on a plane hot rod good comedy i recommend it i'm a fan oh yeah um, fan. lonely island and most importantly max no yeah 
<laughs> Max the, the, the dog? Max the dog that we talked about a couple weeks ago on our, uh, on Forever, our Forever Young Forever episode. Young. Yeah. <laughs> so he's oh worked on God. other movies, but those were the ones I wrote down. That is incredible. Yeah. Big, and I don't uh, know if he like wrote the score or was a musical director or what, but he was involved on the film Max. That's yeah. important. And he may have been involved in that one cover of Forever Young in some way. I didn't That's look into incredible. it too closely. That's something to think about. I like that we've left it open to interpretation. Um, also, <laughs> he's done some production work for artists, which includes <clears throat> the Manfred Band's Earth Band. That's, that's the only other thing of note he's yeah, done. He seems to, I, I don't know the other members, but there's also like, if you look at their Wikipedia page, there's a different lineup for Locomotive Breath as opposed to their other songs. That's right, yeah. So I don't really know. Uh, this band didn't last very long. They did not. And my understanding was from a random, I think it was a song facts comment I read. From from a guy who claimed to be from whatever town these guys were in in South Africa, that this version was very popular there, and more popular than the original. Whether that's true or not, I don't cool. know. Felt good to bring it up. Weird thing for me is always when a band is South African and it's just a bunch of white dudes. Like I I understand <laughs> colonialism and all that, but it's still just <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um. Who? What's? Uh, what's? It? Um. There's a famous um, artist who is uh, South is African. It- Die Antwerd. No. Well, they're also South African. And I always forget, and it is. Um. Let me see here. I'm looking at South African musicians. Is it Dave Matthews? Is Dave Matthews South African? Someone like that. Yeah. That is somebody like yeah, that. Is it Matthews. Dave Matthews? Yeah, Dave Matthews. There you That's go. the one I'm thinking of. Um, who's like South African guy, and you're like, what? But yeah. <laughs> South Africa yeah. has um, a lot of people there. A lot of people there. A lot of people. A lot of people. Anyway. It also has this cover. It also has, yeah, this cover. Um, so they also have kind of an intro, but it's a lot shorter, and it's quite different. Kind of their own riff. This it's, yeah, it's much more like joyous. This intro. Yeah, it's it's kind of upbeat. This version is a little more. Um, it's kind of fused with this like almost late sixties psychedelic thing, and then also this kind of like mid late seventies or mid seventies hard rock kind of yeah. together. So that's that's what it feels like to me. This is those two things. Right. So that intro being kind of psychedelic, that bump, ba da da da. Yeah. I guess, particularly, there's like kind of a um, harpsichord sound. Yeah. 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 Very and bright. A lot of big drums in that part, too. It's a very, yeah, it's very bright. Which might actually just it, be a symbol, but I don't know. It's, it, it evokes the harpsichord. S- certainly and then from there it does so it's it's like a big upwards pattern and then it does some big slow long notes that go down ding, ding, ding. which leads us into this this more like you said mid-70s rock where it's very fast guitar playing um while this like synthesized something does this yeah there seems to be some synthesizer going on there 
It could mm-hmm. be a guitar, though. That kind of sounds more like a guitar to me. But there's later on. Yeah. Fast guitar playing? I don't know. That rhythm part like that's for sure guitar. That's for sure guitar. Yeah. That other part, I'm not I don't know. I don't know about that, Alex. Could be strings. Yeah, I'd believe that um oh probably hearing it again now. It could you know what it could be a guitar. I I accept your analysis. Anyway, but it's definitely like got this like harsh edge sound to it. There's a lot of brightness. There's a lot of high Mm -hmm. frequencies in that in that tone. Yeah. Yeah. So taking so, a big shift in just like a couple of seconds from like big bright Sergeant Peppers to yeah. you know, like uh I fucking I, I, I can't even think of a mid seventies rock band. Yeah, that it's it's more enough. like on the obviously uh this Trevor Rabin guy was later a yes member, definitely has kind of that fast arpeggio feeling that you would um get from like a I mean yes in particular, but more generally some prog rock stuff. Yeah, yeah, it could be like that. It could be Alan Parsons' project a bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it opens with that. So that's kind then... of their two sections of the intro, because mm-hmm. they also have two intro sections. It's very different, but sort of a similar idea in that we start like it. It starts as like an upbeat rock song, but it's a lot more lighthearted than it gets later on, and it gets much more hectic. As we move into the next section, which is their version of the riff, which is the riff, but it's their sound. Yeah, it's a little more like compressed sounding than the the original. Yes, Just definitely. Overall. Yeah. Um, bass is more prominent. I think it's doing the same thing. That boom, 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 boom. But yeah, it the is, pulse. Uh, yeah. Yeah, higher, more, more prominent in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, piano and guitar. I but they're think, also it's also the... faster. Yeah. Um. So I mentioned it feels hectic, and that's part of it. Speed. Yeah. But yeah. yeah sorry. Piano and guitar. Going on. Piano guitar doing the uh down 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 down. I think it's piano guitar. It might just be. Yes, guitar. I think so. At least like their they their first repetition. It sounds like mm-hmm. this very like like you said compressed piano sound so you get this very like high end and it could be some kind of synthesizer i don't know or like an electric piano because you can like with an electric piano we have like an electric piano sound that we associate with it but really you could feed that through effects and make it sound pretty different right um the next thing i note from there is the the synth that comes in for the refrain Yes, these like rising chords on the synthesizer. Yeah. Or maybe not chords, but like big synth sound. And then it kind of... Yeah, it almost sounds like they're just playing like a note or a chord or something and just modulating the frequency. Because mm. they could be playing really fast or they could just be like using the, the, the circuit to do it for them kind of doing like a sample and hold sort of thing with the frequency which is definitely possible yeah yeah yeah. i've done it you've done it yeah so that's kind of what it sounds like to me um and then like cut right down for no it won't slow down that's what they say at the yeah end. won't slow down and then right back into the the verse or they yeah. they do an imitation of the ad libbing i'm gonna say it sounds pretty good in this version yeah 
Yeah, I think this one's pretty all right. Um, worth mentioning, I forgot to mention it on the first verse, but there is some of that scratchy guitar under, kind of under the oh, surface yeah. of the track. It's kind of like a, or is this later on? It's kind of like more rhythmic. Yeah. Even. And again, like it's faster because they're, they're speeding it all up. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, this train is moving quicker, but I think they do still maintain some of that sense of rhythm. I yeah, I definitely think they they keep the the like driving rhythm to it, would just mm-hmm. and make it feel like more chaotic. Yeah. And then of course we do the refrain again. Guitar solo replaces the flute solo. Yeah, which we're going to see a few times cuz most bands don't have a flute. Don't have uh, a flute to do the solo. Um so kind of like a fast mid-70s guitar solo. I liked this solo. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, and you've got that high synth sort of drone going on while it's going on, too. Yeah, it comes in later on, but yeah, it's very high, high pitch. And they keep the riff going underneath, as happens in the flute solo in the original. Yeah. Um, and then they have a new section. Or I thought it was yeah, a new it, section. I think yeah, it's they just do. that. Uh, guitar intro, isn't it? That dance, 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 dance. Oh yeah, I guess it is. But yeah, brought back again in, yeah. in a new in a new context. It's a little different because, or or did we have the the riff under it before? Um, let me see here. I don't think so. Yeah, because no, now it's didn't. combined with the riff. Yeah, buddy. And then from that section, we move into the the final verse. Yep. Where final he's verse. gone up a bit he's singing like in a different key or something yeah, he, well he starts higher I, I don't know yeah for the first half of the verse then he comes back down for yeah. like the second half um one thing i don't think i mentioned the 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 they've changed the the drums um mm-hmm. so underneath the whole thing is like this rock beat Right. Which, again, makes it feel faster because the drums are playing really fast. But it's also faster because they've made it because they're just playing it faster. So there's a lot of speed in this one. Yeah. Um, and then you can really hear, like, the, the way the bass is playing in between, like, in the... During the lick in this part. Yeah. It feels <laughs> more freeform. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it's, cool. playing, it's playing along with the the riff but it's been like a like it's it's faster there's more yeah notes. yeah it's not just more pulsing. Notes. it's it, it's playing it's play, it's playing more notes baby yeah um of course as we go to the outro section we get guitar soloing him repeating it won't slow down and big emphasis on cymbal hits on the drums yes um i think is that like a a hi-hat that you close like, because it sounds, it's got this really, like, rounded, like, yeah, 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 thing, sound that. to it. Um, so I think that's what's happening. And then, of course, the guitar does some more, like, shredding. Yeah. We fade out on that, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know what else this made me think of? Was, um, like, like an edgier, moody blues. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd believe that. <laughs> like a, like a, I don't know. Sad blues. Nope, that doesn't work. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, in cool combination of sounds. Um, and uh, I I like that they 
like just added to the hectic nature of it and just by just being like kind of a rip and rock song yeah they they really leaned into that and just like well let's let's kick up the hectic energy and make this a a crazy train <laughs> um claw boys claw in 1986 claw These guys uh, rock and roll band. similar kind of to the last one. Mm. Dutch. Yeah. Um They uh lots of critical acclaim, not much commercial success. Uh they took a brief hiatus from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand five, but they're still active today, according to Wikipedia. Their lead vocalist, Peter Tebos, is uh often referred to as a stage beast by the Dutch press. Stage beast. So I'm thinking high energy performances. Um, they're very like punk rock, hard rock kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of vibe. Kind of, kind of vibe. Um, some new wave, as well. Sure, I'll accept it. Um, I think. Yeah, I, if I I'm thinking it. the right one. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah, cause, is that because he sounds like a Muppet? Because he sounds like a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <yeah>. Mostly. <laughs> um. Because, so there's a, also an intro guitar riff in this one. You kind of get yeah. just one guitar that's pretty filtered low for a while, and then it gets all feedbacky, and then they bring the riff in. Yeah. So we're looking at, that was like about 20 seconds to get into the riff. Yeah, so, so a lot a faster intro. than the other ones. Yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of one of the big parts about this song, is you get an opportunity to sort of if you want to do your own unique intro as mm-hmm. yeah, put your stamp on it. Yeah. And that one's good. I thought it was all right. Yeah. Quick, it's a little quick, fine little guitar, guitar riff. Um, mm. so, and you know, use the feedback to get into the main section, which is tradition at this point, although it's only mm. 86, which I guess is 15 right. years later. True. Yes. Uh, this one overall has like this really sort of muted, maybe not muted, but like, like dull feeling to it. Like when the drums hit, they don't really ring much. It's very like this impact of like, (laughs) yeah, they thud. Yeah. Um, and the other, like even the, the guitar kind of doesn't ring very much when it plays. No. Yeah. It's, it's really more about like punching beats than it is about the I guess the noise really is just about I mean like dun 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 yeah dun. they're really hitting that heavy. kick on mm-hmm. the on the pulse um, yeah and then that sort of like distorted muted something to guitar yeah doing that dun, 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 playing dun, 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 yeah dun, dun. chords yeah this one's about texture so another thing those that's eighth note guitar part. I one time yeah. heard a thing where someone said like, oh man, new wave songs always have this eighth note guitar part. Well, <laughs> that might be a connection. I would have to look there into you it more. Okay, so this is the eighth um, note of new wave. Yeah, eighth notes. Um, and then he starts to sing and he kind of sounds like, like you said, a Muppet, but like a like a Muppet version of the B-52s. Yeah. Oh, the madness. Yeah. That sort of, that sort of sound. 
Ed Chaplin, man. Yeah, he's, it's a very <laughs> unique voice. Uh, makes it hard to understand him sometimes. But we know the lyrics, so. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the sound that goes through, and they continue with that riff. And, like, it's mostly standard stuff at this point. Yeah, we do that feedback where uh, Rabbit just, like, cut the music for No Way to Slow Down at the end of the refrain. They do that that feedback from the, the transition from the intro to the riff. Ah, oh, right. Right, right. Um, yeah, the transitions are, are, a little, are a little different from that one. Like, even just getting into the refrain, um, it's really just, like, more strumming. Like, da-da-da-da. Like, it's not like some of the other ones. Where yeah, they, they did strum more, but it's less than that, I guess. Like it feels less substantial. Yeah, because the other ones are like, oh, we're going into a whole new thing, but it doesn't last very long. This one doesn't yeah. really have that that going on. It's just like we'll do this for a bit and then we'll go back. Yeah, and they do a thing in the middle of the verse where they'll kind of change the notes on the the riff. They go dan 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 dan. dan. Yeah, they go up dun, a bit. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So, like, it's the same thing or the same rhythm, just playing around with where, the, where you go, I guess. Yeah, a little, little variation on it. And, uh, I mean, their, their structure is pretty similar overall. So, they have a guitar solo. Um, I, decent. I didn't, like, note the guitar solo too much. Compared to I, I I I think I like the rabbit one a little bit better. Yeah, the rabbit one stuck with me. Um, this one was I felt pretty basic, but it was I again I think they're more about hitting the beats than they are about like wowing us with technical skills. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's a little more. I mean, they're not like like rabbit was going all out and and really trying to like speed through everything. So it's a little more of that, like, technical side. Technical wanking, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, well, this one's tonal wanking. It's all about getting some of that feedback in yeah, there. Yeah, getting it really getting fuzzy that. and buzzy and 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 dull. But not dull yeah. as in boring, just dull as in it doesn't ring out a lot. In yeah. an interesting way. Um, they also, at the end of the guitar solo, it kind of, like, fades low. The guitar yeah, is like... Yeah, yeah. And then it goes into that, like you just get like that low feedback, and then just boom, right back into the riff, and then in another verse. Yeah, buddy. And um, third verse, same as the other ones. Yeah, didn't notice much different. Um, outro like similar, long fade out, lots of him doing like ad libs and like repeating like lines and in particular. Oh, there's another voice that comes in that says down. Down, As yeah, like a backup and thing. we we've abandoned the uh, the riff at this point. It is just this uh, like low buzzing guitar. It's going like, nah, 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 nah. yeah. I guess that's part of this like chugging thing. Yeah. <laughs> then it fades out, and it was yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's another version. Made me feel new wavy. Yeah, crunchy, some crunchy new wave. Crunchy. Um, with that, we're going to talk about Cat Gang in 1983. 
Cat Gang. I thought this. Did you find anything on Cat Gang? Um, a little bit. They are an Italian disco group. Yeah. Um, I found a website with some stuff about them. The only place, cause they had a Facebook page, I think. Yeah, they had a Facebook page that led me to this DryCastle.com, which is their label, I think, DryCastle Records. Um, okay. So this is like, I think the they've done like an album. But this is, they haven't done much else. This is the only thing on Spotify, as far as I can tell. Uh, it's just, it's three to six um, Italian guys. One is Mononymous, just named Bozorius. And then there's Sauro Balducci, Mauro Giorgeschi, uh, Silvano Navini, Riccardo Migliarini, Claudio... Mataini. The Blues names. Collective. Those are Italian names. Yeah, it's the. Am I looking? No, I'm. I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at the are Blues you, Collective. At the I'm sorry. Blues Collective. I. I. Uh, oh, let's. Let's move that to not there. Um. No, I couldn't find anything about these guys. Okay. Yeah. They're Italian disco, according to uh, like a one line. I used on to have. On the see, I have them in the wrong place that. because I used to have this at the end of the playlist because it said 2017, but it's actually uh, from the 80s. So I got my stuff mixed up. Forget all yeah, that. Cut I, it I out. was going to mention actually that this is 1983. This is three years before uh, Claw Boys Claw. Oh, did I put them in the wrong order. Yeah, I put them in the wrong yeah. order. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. Whoops. Um. No worries. It's not like these two influenced each other. Probably um not. yeah this has they have four different versions but they are this. italian they are italian and they do disco and there's four so, versions this is the short one because i'm lazy yeah this is the short rock radio version they have a version called the cat version which is sort of more dancey and disco-y and then there's radio edits of both of these versions we're talking about the rock radio edit um, which starts with a sample of a steam engine starting up yeah it's it's sort of at first you're like oh it's kind of a breathy sound and then eventually it becomes apparent that you're listening to something trying to sound like a steam engine is it a steam engine recording probably yeah it's pretty uh i, I don't know you'd find it in like a, a super nintendo video game where there was a train starting up lo-fi as it were yeah um yeah and then of course also feedback fades in and then they have a riff as well uh their riff actually do we get into the riff already? Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, once that guitar rings in, it's this this rhythm, this boom, da da dum, da da dum, da da dum. Yeah, kind of based on this on this like triplet. Yeah, more of a gallop than a. Yeah, but sort of that similar like like it's not the same rhythm, but it's still like a rhythm that pushes forward. It goes somewhere. Definitely a driving rhythm. Stiff vehicle. Yeah. Um and then the riff is a bit adapted. It feels a little more dancey now. Kind of like Yeah, it's slower and and built to fit in with that uh yeah. that bass rhythm. Yes, and of course this is disco. So, it's it's music for a different purpose from mm-hmm. the original Locomotive Breath, that's for sure. Um, um, it still keeps the guitar that noodles at the end of phrases, though. Yep, there's a lot more guitar than I would have 
expected, but I guess I think of dance music in a particular way, but this is disco from the 80s. Um, but yeah. it does. Uh, the lick, it felt more separate, like just the way they've done the mixing to me. That's not like a negative thing or anything. It's just how it sounded. Yeah, just an observation. That's fair. I mean, even his vocals, which are just kind of spoken for the most part, are a little distant and separate. Yeah, true. There's sort of... Uh, there is like a separation of sounds. I I don't know what that means, but um, it seems to be here. Yeah, it seems. Uh, I don't know. It is like there's something about this version that doesn't feel quite so lively. Yeah, it's it's definitely slower, and it's been adapted. It's like it's a hit song that was adapted for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's a song written for like Italy sung in english so i i don't even know if the lyrics are that important right i suppose like it just kind of like took that riff and made it dancier um and of course the structure like we do get a verse section and into the refrain it's not like some dance versions where they just like take a take a main line of some sort yeah this one is absurdly faithful to the point that it has a different flute solo <laughs> that's right and <laughs> i i wasn't sure if they just got a flute player like it, i thought it might be a sample at first but it's clearly not um also sounds very filtered in the flute um and then you yeah. don't get those gasps for air that's but right it's so a flute cut solo that stuff out and then there's a moment, it's very weird, at like three, right at the end of the flute solo, it's like 3.30, mm-hmm. where everything cuts out but the flute. And then it just kind of plays a bit. It's just this look, and then everything's gone. Right, well, there's a break in the flute, flute solo, too. There is. It sounds like it's a different track. Like, it, it's a, it sounds like a... Do you mean there's stuff in between the so- beginning of the flute solo in there? Yeah. So okay. at uh let me see here. Um three oh six the flute solo ends. And then it starts back up again. Oh that's true. Yeah. We just get this kind of like raking muted guitar strumming. Yeah. And then a drum roll that takes us back to the flute solo, which then like you said, at the about the three thirty mark, they pull the other instruments out. And then we're left with just flute. Yeah. This is a choice. It's it's a bit awkward at the end. And then it kind of fades, like cuts out on that. It doesn't even really fade out. Like the flute sort of plays. Yeah, it just like plays a line and then there's symbols. four seconds of dead air. Yeah. And then it, and then the flute like fades a bit, but very fast. And then, yeah, like you said, just, just silence. Yeah. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a strange ending, but I guess you would probably cross fade it into something else. Yeah, and this is typically. also a radio edit. So the, the actual rock radio rock version that they made uh, that's on this album is seven minutes and i didn't listen to it but i assume four minutes of that is flute solo yeah let me see here okay it's still flute we're at oh no it's the same ending it's the same, it's the same ending <laughs> i guess that's probably why it was such an awkward cut at the end because they're like shit we gotta end it and then they just spliced in the ending even though it didn't quite match yeah oh, you're right they probably crossfade to <laughs> something else whatever else cat gang did in their cat their gang. obscure career yeah cat gang, cat so gang. like it it was definitely 
an interesting thing to have. Um, but it's like this kind of slower, more plodding version. Uh, that's a bit awkward, a bit strange, but yeah. interesting. And it makes me wonder if, because I only listened to bits and pieces of the, the cat version, the other sort of mix of this. Right. Makes me wonder if that one is a little more of their style, a little more, because there is some more synth in that version. It's a little more dancey. Right. So yeah. Probably. This, this might have been them trying to like double dip and get on the rock radio stations as well. Yeah. Just do their own thing. The rock radio was like, what? Too much synthesizer. Get this off my station. And they were like, we'll cut it differently slightly. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So this may be an inferior version of theirs, but it definitely isn't uh, the best. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the more interesting dance group covers we've seen simply because it doesn't do the, the regular dance things yeah. but yeah is it of quality mm, i'm yeah. not sure but is it the worst let's find out let's find out wasp, wasp. in 1989 alex Um, the American heavy metal band formed in Los Angeles in 1982 and prominent target of the Parents Music Resource Center. Yeah. Uh, this song has an explicit tag on it. I'm pretty sure it's for the whole album. Yeah, it must be, right? <laughs> because of the, the, there's nothing explicit in this song, even in their version. Um, um, now, Wasp fans will note that Wasp is spelt with periods between every letter. Um, the lead singer, what's his name? Something law Blackie Lawless said in many years later that they did the period simply because quote no one else had done it despite the fact that rem was founded two years before them <laughs> had periods in the name uh but. well maybe they should have been more up on music Popular yeah it's music. excusable in 1980 right what are you gonna yeah google it like <laughs> Um, a lot of theories about what their the the periods mean. Ultimately, it's meaningless. Some some of the more popular theories: white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Sure. Um, on the side of their first album, I believe it said, "We are sexual perverts." Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the many reasons they were targeted by the Parents Music Resource Center. Um, in an inter interview, uh, Blackie Lawless cleverly said, "We ain't sure, pal." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So they're they're a big shock rock group. Um, yeah, they, they kind of got this like metal thing going on. This is the late '80s. I similar vein to like Motley Crue. Yeah, not 100%. exactly the same, obviously, but similar idea. Yeah, it opens with very like big tom drums in a very Motley Crue style. Yeah, and like some double kicks on the on the a lot of double kicks as well, um, and. That's kind of their intro, is the drums, and then they bring in the riff. Yeah, and uh, their rhythm is really just your classic chugging metal guitar rhythm. Yeah, that's kind of what they've, like, the, I'm sure there's bass there, but really, what you're hearing is the is the guitar. Yeah. Chugging. And it's sort of, like, it's the same guitar. It sounds like the same guitar, playing. Yeah, so it's just built into the rhythm. They let it, Yeah. they insert the riff in. Yeah, they just keep that going. Um, it feels like, I mean, obviously I said Molly Crew, so that's not like the most extreme metal, but it's not like some of the, the more modern extreme metal stuff that gets pretty crazy these days. This was, yeah, this was like 
I guess Metallica existed, but it's not like that. No, it certainly isn't. Um, and they, yeah, he's got his voice is on that sort of like theatric hair metal kind of like zone. Yeah, a bit of a whale, high. Yeah. But I guess it kind of, yeah, I, I guess theatric, like the way he enunciates things, it's sort of. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find a good example. Like locomotive breath, like it's really, breath. yeah, oh, kind of overblown. Yeah, because you know it's these guys though. had the full like leather getups and stuff. Yeah. Like they're 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 part stage performance as much as they were about playing music. Yeah. Um. um he also says uh, th- there's not a whole lot of difference between the refrain and the chorus, or the verse and the refrain rather. Um, yeah. It kind of like like the riff ends, but it just sort of keeps chugging on the guitar. So like that's really the difference um and then he says won't stop really weird she's like yeah. won't stop yeah so that's fun yeah um fun i, I didn't Wild notice a lot stop. of yeah, stop. Was... yeah i didn't notice a whole lot of uh difference between the the verses no there's it's very steady uh like ultimately this version falls a little flat for me, I think it's very like so, they've kind of taken out the unique elements of it, replaced it with more generic metal parts. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't like. It feels very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like even when you get to the solo, which on this is obviously a guitar solo, mm-hmm. they do this rhythm section in the back, which is such like textbook metal, like. Like. That could be any fucking song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, the guitar solo is like, little... it's fine. I didn't really note mm-hmm. it much. It's just a little uh, little bland, a little generic, this version ends up being. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, at the end they do a, 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 again, sort of classic metal, like a little riff at the end, and you go, oh, neat. The song's over. Yeah. Not much else going on with that one. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with this one. Um, carrying on that tradition sticks in 2005. <laughs> in the shuffling madness of the locomotive breath runs the all-time loser along to his death. Ah, yes. Sticks. This is... I knew this version because this album, Big Bang Theory, I had. Um, That's right. So, and we talked about it. What's the Love and Spoonful. We right, we city. talked about it for Summer in the City. Um, so this is 2005. It is post-Dennis DeYoung Sticks, which I was kind of thinking, like, because we talk a lot about, like, this is a version of this song, and, like, they didn't change it very much, but, you know, they brought it into their sound. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking, what is the sound of Sticks without Dennis DeYoung? Like, what does sticks sound like? Yeah. And at least for this song, the answer is kind of more generic hard rock. Yeah. I think we talked about this on our Mr. Roboto episode with your brother definitely, as well. But... Yeah, probably come up. This is also a James Young song, which he leans more towards that kind of generic hard rock mm-hmm. sound, in my opinion. Because, like, yeah, Sticks basically just wanted to be a hard rock band. 
Yeah, and, and then Dennis, Dennis Young was like, no, you need to put on this mac- mask and you need to act. Also, they're not very good at acting. Yeah. And the thing is, is that despite those, the two groups sort of being at odds, Dennis DeYoung versus Sticks the Band, that was what made it good, was yeah, you the two of had them together. Having them both, right? So, like, mm-hmm. it can be a bit exhausting to have, like, constant Dennis DeYoung ballads, but then you throw in, like, a She Cares or a Great White Hope or something, and it's, it's a little breather in between the more theatrical parts. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a rock and roll band. Yeah. But when it's just that, it's not very interesting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's nothing interesting about the the tones of their instruments on this. Um, I mean, they've even got uh, what's his face Gawain on here. Yes, Lost Gawain, who from Strange Animal and Criminal Mind. Yeah, he's I'm a sure member of the band. Um, I was like, they don't do any keys intro at all. They jump straight into the riff, which mm-hmm. is strange because they have Lawrence Gawain. But I wonder if they're just sensitive to like giving their keyboardists too much power because it's bitten them in the past. Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it. They just... Yeah, and, like, they're a band that are... They're skilled musicians, right? They know how to play their instruments. They've been playing for decades. 2005 at this point. Yeah. But I think it also kind of falls apart in the mixing. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you don't really get that bass pulse. It's kind of buried. So you don't really get that driving um, aspect. Um... The other thing that's a bit weird, so the vocals have a lot of echo on them, and the way he sings it feels a little bit laid back. Like yeah. he's not, you don't really get that hectic aspect to it. Um, yeah, and, he is taking the piss yeah. a little on this one. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, like I've decided the song should feel. The other weird thing they do is... For the guitar solo, Tommy Shaw plays yep. the guitar solo, and we know that because he starts by saying, Tommy freaking Shaw! Oh, uh, that's what he says, freaking. I think I it's could, freaking, can... but it kind of also sounds like reaping. Like, I don't know exactly what he says, but I th- Yeah, I tried to look up sense. his middle name because I thought it was that, maybe. It's not. <laughs> could be, honestly. Um, <laughs> but, so, and then he, like, hype man, he's like Tommy's hype man throughout this solo. And like it's not that good a solo, like it's fine. Yeah. Um, but it's also weird. It's so weird that this song is about like being out of control and they're acting all confident on it. And like yeah. got this it's got this they've added this swagger to it, which seems to like totally contradict the song. Mm-hmm. Um, um yeah. yeah. And he also does like imitates the Ian Anderson vocalizations, and I don't think it sounds very good here. He's not a very good actor, so he doesn't really sell it. No, it's uh, um, not great. We learned he's not uh, a very good actor way back in Mr. Roboto. Way back. Um, worth noting on the personnel side of things, this is, according to Wikipedia, the only song that Chuck Pinozzo is uh, a support of on this. He plays bass on this track, on this album, and nothing else. Is he? I think he's the drummer normally. Oh, is he the drummer? So I normally? think he just. I, I'm not. I'm not totally sure. That would make sense rather than having he, the basis. There's yeah. two Pinozos, isn't there? Yeah, one died. Yeah. One was John. I think was the bassist. Yeah. Let's see. Drummer John. No, drummer John. Um, oh, never mind. Best known as the, I got. So yeah, they then. got. They so got Charles Pinozzo. Have some other um, guy. Because yeah, John Pinozzo died in 1996. Okay, so and for some reason on this album, Chuck oh, only one. plays bass on perhaps the easiest bass song. 
Yeah. And like you don't even like you should the bass is important, but they don't like let you hear it. Yeah, it's not like you said, there's some mixing issues on this as well, and a lot so, of it just yeah. does not sound good. Wasn't the one thing they do that's notably okay. different besides the fact that this version sounds like shit in general is they harmonize on certain lines like in bed and having fun they get uh, a backup vocal on that yep get some tommy shaw backup vocals in there yeah also i might be uh my notes on this aren't great but it looks like they don't say god stole the handle uh it's like they just say charlie again now i'm i'm wondering myself because I, I i thought they do they did but let me listen for it Oh, no, they say God. I'm full of shit. Although it sounds like he says, but God, he stole the handle. Mm. So, I don't know. Might change a little bit. Yeah. And um, uh, there's yeah. a little more piano close to the end. And it gets like some, it's kind of a back and forth between the piano and the guitar for licks. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. They've turned it into this like rock and roll. We've talked about like kind of the showpiece, not showpiece, but like. Where you song that exists for solos? Nah, they haven't really done that. I take that back. Also, oh, the he, ending doesn't shout. Charlie stole the handle at the end while they're doing the outro because oh, he does this thing I where he, he does a low part of like nowhere to slow down, and then it'll go up like Charlie stole the handle. Um, yeah, because like again, he's treating this like a like a hard rock showpiece. Like, yeah. let's have fun. Um, it's time for locomotive breath. It's come on, feel the noise, but it's. <laughs> But it's locomotive breath. breath. Yeah, and uh, they they uh, don't fade out. They end definitively, which uh, is also strange. I just feel like they don't really didn't really play the song like in keeping with the themes of the song. Yeah, well, and that's that seems to be this whole album is them just kind of phoning in some rock songs they liked. Yeah, yeah, I. I like some of them. Or I mean, I haven't listened to the whole album. I've listened to Summer in the City and Locomotive Breath. True. Um they're not they're not amazing. I I like uh, I actually realize now I I don't know the original version uh, of a salty dog. One of the big reasons okay. I like that is because it contains the line this seaman's log. <laughs> it's a poop. Um but I I uh, should listen to the original. Maybe it's better. It's also a Lawrence Gowan-driven one, so. Oh, yeah. Well, Lawrence Gowan's tight in my book. Um, Let's talk about uh, an odd act here. Let's talk about Steve Lieberman. Steve Lieberman. The gangster rabbi. Yeah, the way this is written... Like, it's one artist, but because there's a comma, that's how Spotify does multiple artists. So I was like, I thought it was Steve Lieberman and the gangster rabbi. Yeah, I thought it was a team-up. and then it's the same, He's the same guy. Also known as the king of Jewish punk. Yeah. He's, he's Jewish, obviously. He's Jewish, um, yes. as, And it's considered outsider music. And, yeah. Um, if you listen to it, that makes sense. It's kind of... It's got this, like, real, like... Um, like backyard grit to it. Yeah, feel he reminds me of uh, Frank Sidebottom a bit. Oh wow, we haven't talked about that guy in a long time. Talked about that guy in a long time. I think that's maybe just the way he sings is very much like he's 
disinterested in the lyrics and is just quite fond of playing with his voice and singing all nasally. Um, quick jump back to the term outsider music. I don't know if we've ever brought it up on the show before, but uh, it's a music created by self-taught or naive musicians. The term is usually applied to musicians from outside the music establishment who exhibit childlike qualities, and especially those who suffer from intellectual disabilities or mental illnesses. Now, uh, the gangster rabbi Steve Lieberman, uh, who is alive, uh, has bipolar disorder. Is that what we call it now? It's not. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's bipolar. It's yeah, not manic so. depressive. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, so that's, unless it's that one um, Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. Is that a, isn't there also a, a Rush song, Cinderella Man? There is. Does he talk a about... manic depressive, he walks in the rain. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's why it always fucks me up, because that's the, my origin point for hearing that term. <laughs> and then I, I, I just always right. forget which one is. Yeah, I don't think it's like, it's just like less correct. Like, we changed yeah. the name just because it's not technically depression. Mm-hmm. Like, both parts of it are as... I don't know. That's my understanding. Yeah. So this is, uh, like you might expect, like you said, kind of what you'd expect from outsider music. Um, yeah. He's got that Real, very... like, grit on this guitar. Very, mm-hmm. I guess, like, lo-fi sounding. And then you get the bass pulses and the drums. Yeah. Feels gritty. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I said it's, he's kind of got like a punk drawl. Yeah, and a shuffling madness. Like it's a little slurred, a little, uh, what's the word? Just like rough. Yeah. It's, uh, it is rough. And yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one. Very simple composition because mm-hmm. you really just have this distorted guitar and that, that probably a drum machine or just some drums he's done. Yeah, and like the and I the other thing about the guitar, very like buzzy. Yeah, very buzzy. Yeah. Other than like changes, um the refrain continues to rise as it plays the yes. chords instead of going down again or repeating the, the chord loop. Yeah. And then he also vocally goes up very high for the That's chords. That's true. That's true. He follows it. To the point, I'm not sure if he actually says the lines word for word, but he does end on slow down and comes down on the word down. So it's that's kind of it's very close if it's not exactly on. Yeah. Um, similar for the second verse, does some like vocalizations. Oh, he kind of like vocalizes the riff in between before the second verse. Oh, does he? Dun, 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 dun. I'm trying to remember how he says it. He kind of goes like 40 seconds. Okay. Um, just the thing he does. Um, oh yeah, you're right. He does. Yeah. Then there's another verse in there, uh, of course, and then he actually plays the flute. Plays the flute solo. That's right. So it it feels kind of like he's imitating Ian Anderson, but he's not like trying to play the solo or anything. Kind of like quick passages and like take some dramatic breaths. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know what his flute playing style is. I don't know if it's that he's trying to imitate Ian Anderson or he learned a lot from listening to Jethro Tull and that's what he sounds like, but it, it does have that aspect to it. It sounds like that's where he learned it. Yeah. Or he's trying to imitate it. And then again, like how much, I, like, I don't know what his take is if he's doing this to be funny, like a Frank Sidebottom kind of thing. If this is simply how he does it, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think he likes Jethro Tull at the very least. At the very least. Um, yeah, so he does that flute solo. 
Um, this, and the only other thing I have about this one is it ends very abruptly. <laughs> the song, not the solo. Right. Trying to, yeah, like there's a, an outro bit and it just like cuts right out very fast. Yeah, it goes bam, damn. And then over. Yeah, the only other note I had was on the Picks Up Gideon's Bible line. It, he like says it kind of with the rhythm. Says like, Picks Up Gideon's Bible. Yeah, you're so, right. I don't Picks know. Picks Up Gideon's that, Bible. That stuck with me. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, Something that stuck with me is that this is from the album Jewish Pirate. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's a fun little name. <laughs> so it's an, it's an interesting, um, interesting version. We've talked about yeah. some odd versions, and this is definitely one of those. It doesn't change a whole lot, but it definitely uh, has different sounds going on. Yeah, definitely a different presentation, despite not mm. changing a lot. Roughs it up a bit. Uh, and one of the few, one of the, actually the only one, who actually includes a flute solo. So That's right. Um, Alex, the Blues Collective in 2010. The old time loser happened to his death. The Blues Collective. Now we're talking about now the Blues Collective. Now tell me what collective. you know. Uh, they're Italian. Are they actually? <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. Well, I mean, you heard me read the names, though, right? I, I guess, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which I'm not going to do again, but it's like, um, they have like an album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only find, I found some information. Um, about them on the Dry Castle Records website, which is their label, linked from their Facebook page. There's not a ton of info, but they play blues music, and they're Italian. And uh, they do Neil Young songs, Jeff Buckley song, Ian Anderson, Frank Zappa, etc. Okay. They have Penguin and Bondage on here. Hey, I know that song. Um, yeah. So this is a blues version of it. We open with harmonica instead of piano. Yes, this one has an interesting sound. Possibly two harmonicas? I think it's just a delay. Okay, sure. So it opens with that. Um, possibly some stomping and knee slapping, too. Yeah, see, I see what you mean by the two harmonicas, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, because sometimes you see someone play, and you're like, holy shit, how's that one harmonica? But they're doing it. They're doing it. Um, and then around 30 seconds, it starts to, when the, the drums come in, I think the harmonica begins to imitate a steam whistle. Yes. There's a, like, a long tradition of, of making a harmonica sound like a train. Because you do the chugging, the chug, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And then you do the wah, wah, you know? Whistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The steam whistle, as you mentioned. Um, but definitely, yeah. Like, I did an online video harmonica course. And there was like a whole section on just um, pretending to be doing a train. train whistle sounds. And he was like, this is what this train sounds like. This is what this and it's like specific tra- engines, train engines wow. that he was Im- imitating. And I was like, OK, I'm going to skip over most of this. But cool. Cool. Is that did like criminals use that back in the day to <laughs> pretend they were a train on pretend the track? Train, scare people, <laughs> make them run like, away. And get out of here. Train's hopefully they coming. drop their stuff so you can steal it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how crime used to happen. You just scared people okay. and they would drop their things. Drop their things, yeah, it's natural. It's just, ah! Here are but my yes. things! <laughs> then, the, then some drums come in. Um, mm-hmm. And they got this like real ballroom blitz type. 
galloping rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and then right into the verse. No, no riffs before that. Right into the verse. Mm-hmm. About t- ten seconds later, um, the riff is on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. With and some kind of riff playing, just at first, um, and possibly a mandolin, but probably just a higher guitar. I, I'm not sure. Right. Um, and then the pulsing bass. Uh, the drums are playing an odd rhythm. Yeah. I found the the drum part the drum part of the rhythm to be a bit weak, mm-hmm. which was fine, but like could have been more of that like pulse. They take a little bit of the focus away from that, and the vocals, kind of like low and gruff. And yeah, he's like almost, almost talk talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. It feels the piston something. He's yeah, also yeah. he's Italian, so he's got an Italian yeah. accent. Couldn't tell you where in Italy. Yeah, I couldn't. I don't know that kind of stuff. Yeah, way too specific. Um, the drums do change to like more of a four-four with some cymbals in it for the refrain. Yeah. Um, and then there's some backup vocals in there too, and then big fast hand wah on the harmonica. Oh yeah, which is a good effect. You know, kind of bouncy. Yeah, and doing that rising action—that's the guitar in the original, right? Oh yeah. How about that? How about that? Making guitar sounds with a harmonica. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Wild. And then, like, they go back, do some more riff, do some more verse, do some more refrain. I kind of stick with it. I didn't notice. Yeah, much it's pretty steady. Different, yeah. yeah, but like it is definitely like steady. It feels mm-hmm. a little slower, but they keep it steady compared to some of, mm-hmm. like for example, uh, Cat Gang felt a little less driving, but this one keeps that up a bit more. I think. Yeah, it's it's it definitely has that driving rhythm sense that's yeah. there, even if it is moving slower. And even if the drums are a little weak in terms of that that pulse. It kind of, mm-hmm. I think the bass makes up for it. Not to mention the harmonica at literally imitating a train. Like, I'm surprised we haven't yeah. heard one. Well, I guess there were a lot of covers and this, and I didn't want to double up. Right. I had to cut a Leo version. Wow. I know. Unheard of, Alex. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, big thing I've noticed here, we get, a, we get an acoustic guitar solo, obviously. Yep. yep. And then that leads into the harmonica basically doing a verse. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like actually, well, at the start of that, a, a guitar solo. It kind of sounds like it's gonna be a harmonica solo, and mm-hmm. then they kind of like swap out, and the guitar starts playing. Yeah. Like it gets the like effects, like oh yeah, harmonica's charging up, and you're like nope, right to the acoustic guitar solo. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so a verse. It does do a verse melody. Um, I think it kind of does a bit of soloy stuff first. Just a little bit. Um, a little it does bit. that little like rhythm chug in between. Yeah, lines. I guess that's And then does a verse melody. Yeah. And then it keeps chugging though as we go back into the riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually cuts out because there's harmonica licks between the lines on the other verses, but cuts out for the third verse until the very end. Yeah. 
And uh, they also do a definite ending, outro, obviously, yeah. for a while. And not very long. It's kind of some backup vocals. Yeah. Um, saying no way to slow down as the harmonica does its kind of wah and chugging thing. Yeah, and then it, it comes to that. Very definite ending. Little wah in that harmonica. Little yeah, I thought this was a pretty charming blues cover overall. I yeah, thought it was good. I thought it was pretty solid. Maybe a little less flashy than some of the other ones. But uh, I think a big part of it is the... Uh, I think the vocals do a decent job of selling it. They just kind of have that, like, old person and experience sound to them, you know? Yeah, a little bit of cynicism or something, you know? Something yeah. a, a little world-weary. Yeah, and I guess part of, part of that is the blues presentation. Yeah, and, like, uh, yeah, just the, the use of the harmonica was effective. Uh it, it playing the steam whistle, which, like you said, is rooted in harmonica usage, and also just, hey, it's locomotive breath. Here's a steam whistle. Yeah, it makes sense, right? A song yeah. uh, where the primary metaphor is a train. Mm-hmm. Put a harmonica in it. That's the train the instrument. It's great. And they held that rhythm. I think holding on to the, the rhythm and making it work is pretty integral to this song. The two elements really are the rift and down and that rhythm yeah so they got both of those good yeah. job good job and they got some flavor too they got some flavor too now alex coming into our final verdicts so we, we got are. three categories today we got the worst version we got the best version and we got the version most beloved by christians yep that's the category i'm sticking with i didn't i didn't do there was there was a what's the group Apologetics. Um, there was an apologetics version. I'm pretty sure. Well, they would have they would have swept that category if they were here, but they're um, not. So, Alex, what's the worst yeah, version? It's of called this? "Broke a Loaf of Bread." Ugh. So I I didn't I didn't listen to it. What's the worst version? Sticks. Yeah. Sticks. Yeah, sticks version. They like there were a couple versions that were a bit iffy, but theirs were like showed the the least sophisticated understanding of the song. Mm. Um, in my opinion. And uh, they, yeah, I, I mean, it's even, as I mentioned, I had this album. Like, I didn't listen to this version of Locomotive Breath. I listened to the Jethro Tull version, you know? Wasn't great. Yeah. No, this, uh, you're right. It is Sticks, and Because, like, that's, that's a group that could turn out something good. I don't like all of Styx's music. I probably don't even like half of Sticks' music, but I know they can make good music, and I've heard it, and this is not it. So yeah, it's you're rough. right. Worst version. It's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Wasp wasn't great, but I don't yeah. know. I, I, don't, guess, I, I guess don't expect I just... better from Wasp. Exactly. I don't know Wasp. I know exactly. Sticks. Um. So yeah, Alex, best version. Tell me what it is. Um. My favorite version was probably Rabbit. Rabbit. Some cool old school but cool combination of sounds. Um yeah. had some like pretty fast, impressive playing. F- good solo. Really enjoyed the solo. And um mostly just the sa- a- and they like added this really like hectic feeling to the song by speeding it up. And not just speeding it up, but definitely that was part of it. Yeah, I think Rabbit was mine as well. It was uh, there was some interesting moves. 
I don't maybe a hundred percent agree with the intro, but it moves pretty quickly from that to to something more sensible. Right. So I I think it's good. Um, it's interesting to see some proto yes work from from Trevor Rabin, and yeah, I think overall good guitar solo in there. Um, like just good elements. It sounded really good, and it yeah, it managed to make it more hectic. I think it was a great version. Alex, which one of these is the most beloved by Christians? Oh jeez. It's not Wasp. No. I'll tell you that. Even if Wasp does stand for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So. <laughs> um, which one do Christians like? I don't know. It's also not Steve Lieberman. Because he's Jewish. Because he's Jewish. Um, it's probably the Blues Collective. Because it's like some older guys. Uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I could. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the blues collective. Get behind that. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're older, but he sounds kind of older because of the way he sings. You know, because a of couple his voice. old Italians. Yeah, the older, playing... older like blues stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think they'd go for it more than they I would go for, for Claw Boys Claw, for example. That's for sure. I think Christian guilt would lead people that to really <laughs> liking the Steve Lieberman version. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. I think that's that's what I'm locking in. Oh, and is that they're gonna be like, oh, he has um. He has bipolar, so he'd be like, "You're so brave." Right? Oh my, it's so brave. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my pick for that. If y'all listening have a different opinion, similar opinion, or want to talk about a version we didn't talk about, hit us up on Twitter hashtag CoverMePod at Jake the Cressy at some Alex Wise Guy. You can also email us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. Um, you know, send us something. Send us anything. Yeah, please. Rate us, review us. So. We're on Spotify, Say Stitcher, so. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app, your least favorite podcasting app. Just a, a podcasting app you think is all right. We're on all of them. With that, it's time for a bonus segment in which I ask Alex a question I prepare beforehand. Today's question, Alex, is there any um, musical artist slash group, is there a group of musicians who you prefer the solo work of one of the musicians in that group to the collective as a whole? Yes. And that is? <laughs> um, I would probably say, as much as I like the Tragically Hip, I probably prefer um, solo Gord Downey, at least his first three albums for the Tragically Hip. Mm. Um, I like them both a lot. But uh, the Tragically Hip doesn't have a Coke Machine Glow. Coke Machine Glow is very interesting and unique. And um, and that pretty much puts it over the top for me. I like the other ones too, but uh, yeah. Uh, if I there's another one, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah, I I I came up with this question, uh, you know, mid recording as I always do, <laughs> and right off the top of my head, I can't think of much. I know I know Andrew Bird was originally part of Squirrel Nut Zippers. I'm not crazy about Squirrel Nut Zippers, but I love Andrew Bird, so that would be right. an example of that. And but like I'm disqualifying th- anyone who I didn't know about the original band or like the original band was obscure and then they became popular afterwards. Right. Um probably I would also say like either Peter Gabriel or uh Phil Collins just cuz I haven't really listened to Genesis. Yeah, two solid picks. I don't yeah, I don't listen to much of Genesis aside from the hits. Yeah, I, I'm like I think a couple of the songs that I think of as Phil Collins songs are technically Genesis songs, but mm-hmm. I'm only thinking that because I watched American Psycho last night. It talks about Genesis mm. and Phil Collins, of course. Briefly. Um. Anyway, 
Yeah, those are the ones that spring yeah. to mind. There you go. Um, that's all I've got too. Now, if you want to share with us your favorite solo versus group artists, or you know, vice versa, whatever you think the group's better than the solo artist, you think solo artists better than the group, hit us up hashtag solo v group, and let us know what you think. That's the end of our bonus segment. That's the end of our episode. And as we always say on Cover Me, Cover Me, it won't stop going. No way to slow down.